They're called the 400 silent years. It's the time between the Old Testament and New Testament during which no inspired scripture was written. It would be wrong, however, to say that God did not speak. He certainly spoke to Anna, calls her a prophetess. She may have been over 100 years old, and that would cut pretty deep into the 400 so-called silent years. God speaks. He's a talker with lots to say. He reveals himself to us so that we can know him. He speaks to everyone through the wonders of the created universe. You could call it creation evangelism, or some call it the First Testament. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and the night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Design demands a designer. If you have creation, you must have a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God reveals himself to each person through his or her conscience. Everyone has a conscience. Our conscience gives us an awareness of what is right and what is wrong. It's not perfect until it's trained biblically, but nevertheless, it does have a sense of right and wrong. Don Stewart writes, Humanity knows intuitively the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. Furthermore, they know from their conscience that they will ultimately be held responsible for their behavior. Another commentator said, Conscience is the voice of God in the soul. God speaks to you from the cross upon which Jesus was crucified. If you listen, you hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Most of you recall Verizon's Can You Hear Me ad campaign. No matter where that tech was, you could hear him on Verizon's superior network. It's Christmas, God has brought you here so he can chat you up. If you're not a Christian, then his creation and your conscience and the cross where he took your place in death so that you might live are the very voice of God drawing you to himself. Only a fool says there is no God as you experience and explore the wonderful world that he has created. In your conscience, you know that you're a sinner. You're not perfect. If you want to look at it a different way, say, well, I don't want to, I'm not ready to call myself a sinner. Are you perfect? Well, of course not. Well, you can't go to heaven then. And so that's what your conscience is telling you. But with your attention drawn to the cross, God's Spirit provides the ability for you to repent and to believe and to be saved. Since you know he is speaking, can you hear him now? That's our uh, prayer this morning, if you're not a believer, that you would come to know the living God. Now we're going to spend the next few minutes with Anna. We'll see her living in the temple, always ready to serve her fellow Jews. The title of the message There was an old woman who lived to serve Jews. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you again in prayer because it's your word. It's inspired, Lord. The Spirit is here to teach it. Those of us that are believers have him indwelling us. This is a perfect situation for you to uh, speak to us about many things in that soft, sweet way that you have. And again, Lord, we want to pray for unbelievers who are here this morning that their hearts would be wide open to receive Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, as we work through these three verses. In Jesus' name we pray. Those who agreed said, Amen. Amen. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm still trying to figure that out, but normally it's something we start asking kids when they're in elementary school. 
A poll revealed that the number one career among children is professional athlete. <laughs> Rounding out the top 10, doctor. Number three is don't know. <laughs> then teacher, veterinarian, firefighter, scientist, astronaut, engineer. I don't know if that's a civil engineer or a train engineer. And then law enforcement. I couldn't find widow who lives in the temple serving God with fastings and prayers. It wasn't on any list. Most likely, Anna didn't aspire to the career that would occupy the majority of her long life. Nevertheless, that was her calling, and she went about it as if it were a gift from the Lord. Some of us are in our dream job. One or more of you might go so far as say you hate your job. You might have upward mobility on a fast track. Perhaps you are stuck and you can't start over. The possibilities are many. Anna didn't choose her course of life, but no matter the twists and turns, she walked her course in a way to please God. And so verse 36, we learn of her. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seventy, excuse me, seven years from her virginity. Asher was one of Jacob's sons. He was the progenitor of one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Asher. When you search the Bible for him, you find his greatest achievements in the form of prophecies about what he's going to accomplish. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Let him be favored by his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. Sounds like he owned a bakery-day spa combination. That's what Asher was all about. When the tribes of Israel inherited their land, Joshua assigned to Asher western and coastal Galilee. It was a region with some of the most fertile land in all of Canaan, rich pasture, wooded hills, and orchards. You could say of Asher that he was materially well off. He is remembered as a privileged, wealthy landowner, rancher, and farmer. Now, God is not opposed to wealth, only its potential to trip you up in, its, uh, in your walk with him. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is what motivates people to lie and steal and cheat and gamble and embezzle, even murder. Jesus warned that you cannot serve God and money as masters. By one estimate, stock market losses wiped out $9 trillion in American wealth this year. <laughs> Sorry to discourage you. <laughs> Meanwhile, heaven is cranking out dividends <laughs> to those who invest in God. Amen. Right? We can't know if Anna was once or even then material well off. We can say that she spent most of her life living meagerly. And so she's an example to us of being rich in faith. Whether she was rich in other ways, we don't know. But she was certainly rich in faith. And that's what we want to be on planet Earth as we prepare for heaven. Now, her dad, Fanuel, is mentioned nowhere else. Nothing else is known about her family or her deceased husband's family. Whether or not any relatives were still involved with her, her daily contact was with the temple servants. They would be like family to her and uh, in their relationships. And so um, you don't, we can't speculate too much. We, we, you know, we mostly don't know things about Anna. But knowing that she was at the temple all the time, obviously she would get to know the various courses of priests and Levites coming through, and uh, they, were, they were like a family to her. 
Now, don't think of her as some crazy oracle, the kind highlighted in fantasy movies. Prophets didn't necessarily predict the future. And technically, we would list Anna with godly Old Testament women called prophetesses, Miriam, Deborah or Deborah, Huldah, and the wife of Isaiah, who's not named. The scope of their speaking for God can be ascertained by reading the relevant passages where we find them. And what I got out of them is that they advised with wisdom derived from the written word, and they revealed the will of God. And so we could say they functioned in an office of prophetess to advise about the will of God. Anna's ministry, whatever its scope, assured people that God was not silent. He was behind the scenes, prepping for the future fulfillment of his promises to them. In your walk with the Lord, if he seems silent, know that he is behind the scenes, prepping for the fulfillment of his promises to you. And by the way, I found in my life and in the lives of others, sometimes silence can be effective, edifying communication. It can be the best sometimes not to say something and to just be with somebody. Job uh, learned that. When his comforters came, they sat with him and commiserated with him. And then when they started to counsel him, it all went downhill pretty fast. Uh, And so silence is not such a bad thing. I know we immediately think, oh, I'm not hearing from God. Well, last week we talked about maybe we're not listening, but sometimes silence is an effective means of communication, and, um, and God will employ it. Verse 37, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What happened to her husband? Did they have children during their seven years of marriage? If not, why not? Still a relatively young woman when her husband died, why did she not get remarried? The answers to those questions are don't know, don't know, don't know, and don't know. Nothing said. She may have been 84 years old or widowed for 84 years. If she married in her teens and had been widowed for 84 years, she would be over 100 years old. At some point, she did not depart from the temple. You know, if somebody spends a great deal of time somewhere other than at home, we say that they live there. Uh, he lives at that place. You know, he's, he's just there all the time working. Anna really did live there. She, got, uh, she was at the temple so often, at some point they got her a little room in the temple. Another big part of her being a prophetess was to serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. Anna was on call day and night to pray for you. And so people who needed prayer could come any time that they could get into the temple, and Anna would pray for them and with them. Fastings can be translated going without eating. That's a brilliant one. Uh, but I think what it's saying is, is uh, very informative. I buy chaplain gear from a website called Cold Dinner Club. I thought, wow, that's a, a little weird until I thought about it. The name represents firefighters and police officers not being able to finish a hot meal because calls always come in, and they have to get up and, and answer those calls, which could take five minutes, five hours. You just never know what's going to happen. And so Anna was often not able to finish her meal, so to speak. And in addition, she practiced the discipline of fasting. And so fastings meant that she, she fasted on a regular basis in her own life. Uh, and, uh, and she also missed a lot of meals, just skipped them because she had more important ministry to do. Jesus spoke of praying, giving, and fasting as spiritual disciplines. 
I doubt any of us would claim to be totally satisfied with our praying, giving, and fasting. Uh, These disciplines, however, are not a one-size-fits-all program. You're going to need to talk to God about your praying and giving and fasting. And so Jesus said, hey, these are are some things that I recommend, uh, but, you know, I can't tell you exactly what to do. I need to find that out for myself. We're all in different places in our walk with the Lord, in in our, you know, time and uh, those things that we can commit to the Lord. And so, uh, but, you know, it behooves us to get together with the Lord and say, hey, Lord, um, in terms of my praying, uh, not so much am I doing it enough, uh, because what you want to be doing is talking to the Lord all the time, right? I mean, so, uh, you know, just ask the Lord what, what works there. And then uh, giving, you know, Lord, I want to give. And uh, am I giving enough? Am I giving too much? Am I giving to the right place? And in terms of fasting, Lord, is this a discipline that you have for me? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? She was pretty spry for her age. Pilates? No. God measured out her physical health. If you have your health, do you have everything? Of course not. What is the condition of your soul? That's the essential thing. Charles Spurgeon writes, I venture to say that the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health, with the exception of sickness. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints than health has. And so that's uh, a nice summary of uh, sickness and health as it comes from the Lord. Now, uh, I would, uh, I think it's okay to prefer to be healthy. Don't feel guilty, uh, and for sure don't go and ask God to give you bad health. Just, you know, it's coming anyway on its own, like a runaway train. Uh, So uh, I think I told you before, I don't remember any conversations I had with the Lord about Parkinson's disease, not one. Never, never even entered my mind. Uh, I thought I was going to live a, a long life because my, my mom died at over 100. My dad was 95 and would have lived longer, but he got an infection in the hospital. Uh, my brothers, you know, I have two older brothers. I mean, we, we live into our 90s. I'm not saying I want to live into my 90s, but that was the plan. And, and then God said, yeah, that's not necessary, really. And, uh, and if you do, you're going to be crazy. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> so we're, we're prepping for all that. And getting ready for just the, you know, the fun times to come. But anyway, one thing you don't know about Parkinson's is that it's mostly mental. The physical part is noticeable, but the things that go on in your mind, whoo, man. Anyway, I'll tell you about it sometime. But uh, so anyway, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna came just when Simeon was holding baby Jesus and prophesying about the royal family. We looked at that last time. The words that instant are really, truly amazing. Simeon, Anna, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus converged in a fleeting moment of time. It was a case of right place, right time in God's providence. He had foreseen the free actions of these people, and then he saw to it that their meeting came to pass for his glory. I mean, think about, you know, all the eons of time and, and all the various, uh, you know, possibilities. And for these, this particular group to be together at that moment, uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. If I ask you to name a spiritual that instant moment in your life, most of you, I think, could do so. 
If you were saved later in life, for example, and not from an early age, not as a child, the moment you received the gift of salvation was a that instant kind of moment. A bunch of things came together so that you were in the right place at the right time according to God's plan for your life. You were right where he wanted you to be uh, on Sunday morning, you know, December 25th, 2022 at Calvary Chapel hearing the gospel, something like that. And, and so uh, I know that's a, uh, you know, I could say that. And there's other that instant moments when God just brings things together and you know that it's him. As long as you are on the earth, you should expect that instant moments. Look for them. Uh, pray about them. Say, Lord, bring some things together today that are to your glory. We aren't told how Anna gave thanks. May have been silently in her heart. Maybe it was out loud probably describes not just her immediate reaction, but an ongoing one. We can assume that she was thankful prior to this, but now she would take gratitude to an entirely different level. So she was certainly grateful and thankful for her life, uh, but now she had a reason to be even more thankful. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul and what he described as the thorn in his flesh. After praying about it, the Lord revealed to Paul that it would not be taken away. Now, you know, we know, most of us know the end of this, so it's going to be hard to put ourselves in that story, but that's inherently discouraging, right? You pray about, Lord, I'm sick, I've got this illness, or I'm headed into this situation, you know, Lord, do something about it, I know you love me, and and it's according to your will, Lord, for sure, but do something, and then if God, what if God just says to you, no, I'm not doing nothing about it? Oh, okay, well, my immediate reaction isn't to praise the Lord, (laughs) It's, it's to be upset and angry. But Paul reacted saying, therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, Paul, did you have to say that? I mean, come on, buddy, you know. Uh, Can't you say, therefore, I kind of live with it and, you know, chalk it up to whatever? I mean, no, he says, okay, if I've got this thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, I'm going to enjoy it. God says he's not going to take it away. He's going to give me grace to live with it. Then I'm going to live it up with it. And people are going to see the glory of God in my life. And so God's answer wasn't no. A lot of times people say, you know, God says yes, no, or maybe, but uh, his answer wasn't no, it was grace, sufficient grace. And so when God says no to something, he's saying, I have sufficient grace for you to endure this or to go through this or to be this or whatever. He's not saying no, he says, I have this for you, I'm going to let this happen to you. That's next level gratitude. Anna spoke of him to all. As a prophetess, she already did this. But now again, there was a renewed excitement that expressed itself in her sharing. You know, we all get into, I guess, spiritual ruts, right? And then, and then we get re, rejuvenated. We hear something or we just repent or whatever it might be and, and we have a, a greater sense and, and get into uh, a, a new renewed excitement. If, if that marks you, if you're kind of meh, meh, I, my favorite word right now is meh. I don't know what it means, but it just some things are just so descriptive, right? It's like people say, how do you feel? I go, meh. I'd be careful because it sounds like a goat something. Meh. I got to do it without tremolo in my voice, you know, which is hard. But anyway, God's answer isn't no, it's grace. I have grace for you. And, you know, it's a grace that you would have never had if you weren't in this situation. We don't need to store up grace. God gives us grace that's sufficient 
for the moment. All those who look for redemption in Jerusalem were godly Israelites who hoped for the arrival of their promised Messiah. Here that hope is called uh, redemption. A redeemer was a certain person described in the Bible who had a very important role in their tribal culture. So whatever we might think about being redeemed or a redeemer or all that, we, we have to subordinate it to what they would have understood. The Jews connected the Messiah to a person in the law of Moses known as the kinsman redeemer. Our friends at gotquestions.org put it like this. The kinsman redeemer is a male relative who had the privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. The Hebrew term goel for a kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. And so it is a male relative who steps in when you're in terrible trouble, enslaved, uh, about to be attacked, those kinds of things. Not, there's not just one particular moment, but he's, he's your rescuer, he's your deliverer, he's your redeemer. Another commentator said, a kinsman redeemer was someone who redeemed what was lost. This could be the other person's property, their freedom, or even their name. The kinsman might also be called upon to exact revenge on someone who may have killed a relative. In short, the kinsman was a rescuer and a restorer. Summarizing our redemption as Christians, one author said, to be redeemed is to be forgiven, holy, justified, free, adopted, and reconciled. Commenting on our need to be redeemed, Dave Hunt said, the more clearly we see the infinite chasm between God's glory and our sinful falling short thereof, the greater will be our appreciation of his grace and love in bridging that gulf to redeem us. There were four requirements you had to meet to go out. You had to be kin, you had to be willing, you had to be able to redeem, and you had to pay the price in full. Jesus was Israel's Goel. He was their redeemer. He was God in human flesh. He became just like you and me, our kin, which puts him in a position so that he could redeem us. Uh, The situation that we're in because of sin requires redemption, and it requires the redemption of somebody who can do it. Another human being can't because they're in the same position. A slave can't redeem another slave. And so there has to be a human being who's perfect, who can act as the redeemer. And that happened when Jesus was born that first Christmas day, the virgin birth of Christ. Jesus gave up his life for us as a sacrifice of his own free will. He, he wasn't running and hiding and changing his identity and, you know, and they had to find him and drag him to the cross. He knew he was going there his entire life. Because Jesus was God, he has the ability to redeem us and he paid the price. We are told that he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people. If you want to really understand redemption, read the short book of Ruth in your Bible. It tells the story of a Goel rescuing and restoring his kin, but it's told as a love story. And so when we think of redemption, it isn't a, uh, like a, a transaction at the marketplace or paying off of a debt or you know, that kind of a thing. I mean, it includes a lot of things, but God sees it as a love story. He says, you people were hopelessly lost. You needed a, help, a, a, a helper. You needed a restorer. And I came and I did that for you because I love you. And when you receive Jesus Christ, you realize that you love him too. 
God redeeming you by sending Jesus as your Goel is a love story. It is the love story. The holiday season is for most people a fun time of the year filled with parties and celebrations and social gatherings with family and friends. For many people, it can be a time filled with sadness, self-reflection, loneliness, anxiety, even depression. You either know someone who has suffered loss for whom the holidays hit hard, or you are that someone. Anna was that someone. As I said earlier, we need to be careful to not suggest a backstory for Anna that is purely speculative. One thing for sure, she had suffered the loss of her husband. She remained widowed all her very long life. And so if nothing else, she had that loss in her uh, resume. She lost her husband and she uh, never remarried. No one chooses that path to walk on. Little girls don't aspire to widowhood. Some little girls will get a bride Barbie doll this year. None of them will get a widowed Barbie with Coffin Ken. That's just, that's just not going to happen, right? I mean, so there's no expectation. There's no expectation you know, I, mom, I'm a little girl. I mean, that would be like an Adams family thing, right? I mean, that's the idea of what you know what I'm getting at. Nobody aspires to Anna's life. Nobody, no little girl wants to be Anna. We might admire Anna's life devoted to God, living in some makeshift room in the temple, praying and fasting night and day, blessed to get to see Jesus, the Redeemer. Man, what a life. At the same time, I think the majority of us look at Anna and say, see ya. Wouldn't want to be you, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's, that's not, you know, if your kids start praying to be Anna, wow. I don't know what to tell you. I think it's great, but at the same time, you know, you know what I mean. You have or you will suffer loss on your way to heaven. It might be a great loss by our reckoning. Anna can minister to you in your loss. Her life, her commitment, her just being, uh, you know, a person who's walking with the Lord. And it's not a matter of trying to be like Anna. I mean, you, you don't go into it and say, okay, what did Anna do? She, she spoke of God to people and she, she fasted and she prayed and she did all these things. So I'll do all those things and, and I will, you know, get over my loss. Well, uh, that's legalism and that's fleshly and it's not going to really help you. It's not a matter of trying to be like Anna. You are Anna already. You are uh, an Anna. In fact, you're better off than Anna spiritually because you have God's spirit in you. Anna didn't overcome loss by praying and fasting and living at church. She didn't discipline herself out of depression. She was on a walk with God and she accepted that her path went through the loss of her spouse and all these other things that followed. That was her path. The truth is, and this isn't a slam, this isn't a put down, I love being an American and being raised in America and all of that goes with our prosperity. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, you guys, you're so prosperous. Um, I have like 20 pairs of shoes now. I don't know what happened to me. I got shoe crazy, you know, the other day. They're all, you know, used from the internet, but still, you know. So I'm not, you know, this isn't a big rebuke to everybody about this, but if we lived in most of the rest of the world, the kinds of things that we consider loss are, are small. Uh, I mean, you, you, when um, in most of the world, the goal, what, if you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer is alive. 
I want to still be alive when I grow up. That's what I want to be. I want to grow up because there's a really, really good chance that I'm not going to. And so when you're living that kind of terror, you know, life has a different perspective. Not to say that you haven't suffered loss or that I haven't suffered loss or that we will suffer loss. We will. And, and so we can't overcome it uh, by doing things. We have to realize we're walking with God. We accept our path uh, and that it goes through loss and these other things. You and I don't know where our path will lead. On earth, it will involve greater or lesser loss on account of the problem of sin. The psalmist wrote, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That would have been a good life verse for Anna. I mean, that kind of describes everything that we've talked about. My heart and my flesh may fail. It certainly it must have, you know, however her husband might have died, Whenever he died, seven years into her marriage, she could have been just in her late teens or early 20s at that time. You did not want to be a divorced woman in that culture. It just, you know, it meant poverty for the most part or, you know, uh, living with family, you know, which isn't always the greatest thing. Uh, There were all kinds of superstitions about widows. Uh, One I came across that you don't want to marry someone who's been widowed twice because you start to think, huh, this is a black widow, you know. And so, so I mean, if you, you just did not want to be a widow, that was like, uh, it was like getting a diagnosis of spiritual cancer, right? You know, all of a sudden they come and they say, hey, your husband is dead, you're radioactive now, you know, and, and, and either nobody's going to want to marry you or your life is just, you know, not going to be what you thought it was going to be. But she said, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so while we grieve and suffer loss, at the same time, God is our portion. He's with us, walking with us in it. This would have been a good life verse for Anna. Let it be yours while waiting for your own. Or if you've been given a life verse, let it fill your heart. What we're talking about here is that a relationship with God through Jesus Christ uh, overcomes in the sense that you are able to, with the Apostle Paul say, I'm grateful for your grace because in my weakness... You're strong, and all I want to do with life is show you to other people. That's the glory of God, is to make what is invisible visible to others. And so let God do that in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Amen? Amen.